We are in Genesis chapter 24. If you have a pew Bible, that's on page 17 through 19. Well, my freshman year of college, uh, at the end of my freshman year, I've probably shared this story before, but on April Fool's Day of, of my freshman year of college in 2000, that's when I became a Christian. And I went home that summer, and I was very excited about my faith, very excited to, to talk with my friends from high school, and maybe at times a little overzealous. Uh, but I had a friend named Mark who I hung out with a lot, and Mark had grown up in the church and wasn't really walking with the Lord at the time, but uh, today he is, praise God. God has done a great work to kind of bring him back uh, to himself. But I was over at Mark's house, and we were talking, I was just excited about my faith, and Mark told me about this book that I had to read, and it's this really popular Christian book, and he's like, everybody has read this book, you really need to read this book, and kind of growing up in the, the way that the family that I did, not really, a, you know, not a believing family, I hadn't heard about this book, and over the years, I've, I've thought about it, and I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta read this book, and gotta, gotta get it, I actually, when we were in China, I bought a copy of it, and I think I had tried reading the first page, and then I just, like, didn't. Couldn't get into it, and so it sat on the shelf. Well, this week, as I was preparing this sermon and thinking about the title, No Turning Back, No Turning Back and No Shortcuts, I was thinking about this idea of turning back, and I was like, man, I bet you that book talks about this. So I ended up getting a Kindle version of it and started reading. And the book is about a journey of a man, a man who, <laughs> Jesse knows what it is, don't say it. A man who opens up the scriptures and he's, he's wrestling with, how can I be saved? And he's asking this question. And, and a man comes to him and tells him to go to follow the light that he can see, to go and follow this light and, and that he can be saved. So he starts off and he actually he starts running. He takes off running. And his wife and his kids are calling, come back, come back. And he just he's like, no, I'm going, I'm going after it. And his neighbors are trying to get him to come back. Actually, two of his neighbors follow him and try to, they try to forcefully bring him back. And he says, no, I will not go back. He says, I have put my hand to the plow and I will not go back. Along the way through the, I haven't finished yet, I'm, I'm a little, about halfway through. But every, every step of the journey, there are temptations to turn back, right? There are temptations to take shortcuts, to take the easy route and to not walk the hard road. And we've been going through the book of Genesis. We've been looking at the life of Abraham. Abraham has been on a journey. He's been on a journey with a lot of temptations to turn back, temptations to take shortcuts. And he followed God's call. He followed God's call to leave his land, to leave his family, and to go out to a place that God would show him. To follow God's promises. And Abraham, along this journey, he saw God provide in many ways. He saw God fulfill his promises. And we saw that kind of actually in the spring. We took a break uh, from, from Genesis over the summer. But when we were in the spring, we saw the birth of Isaac. Uh, so God f- began to fulfill the promises of, of uh, descendants. And then... We saw last week in chapter 23 about Sarah's burial and how, I, how Abraham got this cave in the land of Canaan. And it was a, a picture of the promised land. It was the first 
part that Abraham finally got of the promised land. But we also talked about how that really pointed forward to the eternal inheritance that God had promised to Abraham in chapter 17. So again, kind of this already and not yet. And we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, which is actually printed on the, the cover of your worship guide, if you want to look at that. We talked about this, how... These all died in faith. It's talking about the patriarchs, Abraham, and and those in the Old Testament, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So again, Abraham, was they were looking forward. They were looking forward to the city of God. And throughout all of this, throughout all his journeys, there's a deep trust in the providence of God. That God is directing all of, his, all of, all of their affairs. That God is the one who will provide for all of their needs. We saw that specifically in Genesis 22 when Abraham is called to sacrifice Isaac and the Lord provides the ram in the place of Isaac and they actually call that place the Lord will provide. So there's, there's this huge theme of God providing. God provides the sacrifice in the place of Isaac. He provides Isaac as the descendant. He provides the land and over and over this theme comes through. And there are no shortcuts Right? They have to do it God's way. Again, as we come to this passage here today, we're going to see the providence of God. We're going to see God's provision throughout this story in some interesting ways. And as we've been talking about this journey that the book that I'm reading is talking about, the journey that Abraham was on, and if we think about our own lives, we feel the same temptations, don't we? We feel the temptations at times to turn back, right, when life gets hard. Now, maybe it's not turning back completely and and walking away from the Lord, but maybe it's just saying, you know what, this path I'm on, this road I'm on, it's just too hard. I'm just going to, maybe I'm going to take a shortcut, or I'm going to try to take the easy easy road, or I'm just going to, I'm just going to cash in my chips for a while and just do my own thing, right? I think we oftentimes, we don't want to, we don't want to walk the long, hard road of discipleship. There's too many trials. There's too many temptations. Or we want a quick fix. We want things just to work now. We want everything in our lives to be fixed immediately when they don't go the way that we expect. That's a challenge that I think all of us have faced, I'm sure, at one time or another in our Christian walks. And maybe you're facing that challenge right now. Kind of the main idea This morning, I think we're going to really kind of dive into in this passage, is that we serve a loving and faithful God who will keep his promises to us, who will carry us through to the end, and who will finish what he started. A loving and faithful God who will keep his promises, carry us through to the end, and finish what he started. So let's go to God's word If you're looking at chapter 24, you're probably thinking, I hope he doesn't read this whole thing because we're going to be here for an hour. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, We're going to look at verses 1 through 28, 
and then uh, we'll kind of unpack the rest of it as we go. Genesis 24, 1 through 28. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. I am the daughter, sorry, she added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord, and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. The word of the Lord. 
Well, there is a lot going on in this chapter. Uh, again, 67 verses. It's kind of broken down into four main scenes. Uh, we just read the first scene and the second scene, and we'll kind of unpack those a little bit more. And then the third scene is a retelling of the first scene and the second scene. And there are just a few slight variations in there, but we're not going to go through all of that. And then we'll take a brief look at the fourth scene, kind of at the final scene of how this story unfolds. But from the first scene here, we're going to see that we must trust in the promises of our covenant-keeping God and not turn back to where we came from. We must trust in the promises of our covenant-keeping God and not turn back to where we came from. Starts here in the first verse, discussing here the end of Abraham's life. He's old, he's advanced in years, and it said that the Lord had blessed him in all things. So there's this recounting of God's goodness and God's faithfulness to Abraham. And then there's this oath that we see that Abraham and his servants swear by the Lord They swear not to take a wife for Isaac from the Canaanite women. Again, I argue that we see the providence of God. We see God's hand over all of this, especially here as they make this covenant. They swear by the Lord, this name here, the Lord. It's Yahweh. It's God's covenant name. And if you read throughout this whole chapter, you'll notice the Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, It appears 19 times in this chapter alone. It only appears 165 times in all of Genesis in 50 chapters. And over 10% of those occurrences are here just in this one chapter. And so I think there's a significance to that. I think it's talking about God's covenant faithfulness in this whole event of Abraham choosing a wife for his son. So, So don't miss that. Again, God's hand, God's providence And it's a reminder, it's a reminder to God's people that things must be done God's way, right? There's no shortcuts. We can't just do things our way. And that kind of is is unpacked here as we see this idea of not taking a wife from the Canaanite women, okay? It would have been a shortcut for Abraham to say, well, we're here, we're living in the land of Canaan, it's going to take a long time. Some things I read said it was about a thousand mile journey, probably would have taken a couple months I don't have four months to wait, right? I don't have four months to send. I don't have all these resources to send my servant back to find a wife. It's just too much of a hassle. Let's just find somebody here, right? That's not what Abraham did. But he tried something like that earlier, right? He tried a shortcut when he and Sarah said, oh, why don't we take Hagar, Sarah's servant, and try to have a son through her? Because Sarah and Abraham were old, and they thought, well, that." How is this going to happen? So let's do it our way, right? Let's take matters into our own hands. So perhaps Abraham had learned a, a few things over the years, right, from his mistakes. There's something very important also that I want to emphasize here. The reason that they did not take a wife from the Canaanites was because the Canaanites did not serve the Lord. The Canaanites, it's not that they were any more evil than anyone else around. It's not that they were different in a, in a, just in a human way. It was that they did not serve the Lord. And so throughout the Old Testament, intermarriage is condemned between the people of Israel and non-Israelites for this reason. 
It's because that they, those people did not serve the Lord. It has nothing to do with race or ethnicity. It has to do with whether they serve the Lord or not. And that topic, that idea of, of the spiritual connection there, that it's not racial or ethnic, but it's spiritual, marrying in the Lord, we see that in the New Testament. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 7 about only marrying in the Lord. And then in 2 Corinthians, he talks about not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. So this Old Testament principle of the people of Israel only marrying within the people of Israel, and we see if you read through the Old Testament, you see the consequences, right, of Solomon marrying foreign women. You see how God condemns that. That principle carries over, again, into the New Testament as we say, we only are to marry those who are in the Lord. So that's kind of what's going on here. That's why Abraham did not send his servant, um, or that's why he sent him to find a, a wife for Isaac from his homeland and not from among the Canaanite people. Well, the servant then, he poses an interesting question to Abraham in verse 5. He says, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham is adamant in verse 6 and verse 8 that the servant not take Isaac back to where he came from. In verse 8, he says, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. This is actually the last recorded words of Abraham in the scripture. This is the last thing that we see. Abraham is going to die in chapter 25. The last words that come out of his mouth that we see, only you must not take my son back there. Well, why not? Why not let Isaac go back if this woman that he goes to find doesn't, isn't willing? Why not let Isaac go back? Well, I think the answer is found in verse 7. Abraham said, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. There is an emphasis that God is going to fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham. He doesn't need to send Isaac back. He doesn't need to turn back and go back to where they came from. Again, we talked about this in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 15 and 16, right? If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. So God is saying, there's no need for Isaac to turn back. There's no need for him to go back. God who has promised is faithful, and God will fulfill his promises. I just was having a conversation this week. I think, James, it might have been with you about my grandparents, my great-grandparents who came from Switzerland. Yeah, we were talking about that. Uh, I have family from Norway and Switzerland. James and Lexi were just in Norway, and we were talking about that. And my, uh, my great-grandparents came from Switzerland, and they actually, they came from the same village, but they had never met each other in Switzerland. They came, and they actually met in Wisconsin. They met in southern Wisconsin. I think they had some mutual friends, and... They, made, they, they met here, they got married, and they made a life here. And I don't know a lot of the details. Uh, my grandpa is like in his late 80s, and you know, he's a farmer, and I, I'm like always trying to ask him questions like, Grandpa, like, you know, trying to figure out about his parents. He's like, 
Well, they didn't really talk about that much, you know, so I don't really know a lot of the details. But they came here on a, on a long journey, right? Took a boat across, made the trip from the East Coast to Wisconsin. I'm sure that wasn't an easy trip. And they lived, they lived a hard life. They lived a hard farming life. Uh, there's a kind of a, a story, of a legendary story that, you know, I think it's, it's true about my great-grandpa. He was out uh, working in the field and cut his finger off in a corn picker. And he set it up on the fence post and worked the rest of the day. And then he took his finger and went into town to the doctor and said, hey, can you sew my finger back on? And the doctor's like, well, if you would have came in right away. Um, but, you know, my grandpa, he's got fingers missing. And just this, this hard life, right, this difficult life. And it's, you know, I'm like, well, why did they, you know, why didn't they go back? Why they met here? Why didn't they go back to their homeland? I don't know. It's an interesting question. Why would they come and live this hard life and, and stay? But then I think about if they hadn't stayed, right? If they hadn't met and stayed here, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be standing here today. And just thinking about how God works out those details and how God, how any of us are even here and alive, you think about all the factors, all the details, people who, who were faithful, people who put in the hard work, who didn't turn back, and sometimes you just kind of have to stand in awe of that. Um, I think we think a, a lot about finishing what we started, right? There's, there's a lot to be said for, for finishing what you started. We talk a lot about that, but I think about, you know, my own life. I think about my own weaknesses, Right? probably think about your own shortcomings and weaknesses. It's not always easy to finish what we started, right? It's not always easy to, to put in the hard work and to continue to persevere because our faith is small. But it's not ultimately about us. It's not about us finishing what we've started, but it's about trusting in God to finish what he started. And we see that over and over throughout the life of Abraham here, persevering to the end, until God fulfills his promises. For us, the path of discipleship, it's not an easy one, right? It's a long, hard road at times. It's a journey that's filled with trials and challenges. And we're going to see here in this second scene, as this servant's journey continues to unfold, we're going to see how we must walk by faith and prayerfully submit all that we do to God. We must walk by faith and prayerfully submit all that we do to God. So the servant, he goes with his men, he goes on this journey, he takes camels with him, he takes a boatload of gifts with him, and he comes to the city of Nahor, Abraham's brother, and he goes to the well outside of the city, and he prays. He prays, please, O Lord, God of my master, Abraham. Please prays two things. Please, Grant me success, that's the first thing. And literally this means, make it happen in front of me. This grant me success is make it happen in front of me. So this is not a selfish prayer by Abraham's servant. He's not saying, God, give me success so I can get all the glory. He's saying, I'm, God, I'm seeking you for this thing. Make it happen in front of me. That's the first thing. The second thing he says, show steadfast love to Abraham. And this word here, steadfast love, is the Hebrew word hesed. And it's asking God, again, this is not a selfish prayer. It's saying, God, be faithful, show steadfast love to my master Abraham. So both of these parts of this prayer are not 
selfish. This idea here of hesed, steadfast love, it's used throughout the Old Testament. It means a loyal love or an unfailing kindness or devotion. It's a love or affection that is steadfast based on a prior relationship. So it's a prayer that God would continue based on the prior relationship that Abraham has with the Lord, that God would continue to show steadfast love in providing a wife for Isaac. This idea, again, of hesed, it's, it's God's covenant-keeping love, and the promises to Abraham and his descendants are, are unfolding based on God's faithfulness and God's love. And then in verse 13 and 14 comes kind of the, the test here. Uh, the servant says, I'm going to, I'm going to ask this woman for a drink, and if she, if she gives me a drink, then let this be the one that you have chosen for Isaac. Verse 14, again, he repeats this. Please um, let the one, kind of midway through the verse, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So this was the proof that God had showed steadfast love to Abraham, that he fulfilled this promise that he provides the wife for Isaac. So Rebekah comes out. He asks her for a drink, and she gives to him a drink, and then she goes and waters the camels also. And in verse 21, it says, The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Again, God's providence is all over this. He's waiting in expectation. He had prayed. The servant had prayed. He had trusted the Lord. And the Lord provides. The Lord shows that this is the one. And then what happens next is kind of strange, um, especially for Rebecca. So she just, she comes. This guy asks for water, right? Hey, will you feed me and or will, you, will you give water to me and my camels? And then all of a sudden, he just busts out all this expensive jewelry and starts giving it to her. And then he's like, hey, can, I, can, we, can me and my camels and my servants come crash at your dad's house tonight? <laughs> like, what is going on here? This is crazy. And then she says, yes. And in verse 27, here's how the servant, verse 26 and 27, here's how the servant responds. He bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. He bows down and worships the Lord. He praises God. He blesses God for this provision. This idea here, he says that God has not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness toward my master Abraham. These two words here together, steadfast love and faithfulness, they're used throughout the Old Testament, used many times, especially in the Psalms. If if you read through the Psalms, you kind of see this refrain that God's steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 86, 15 says, You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So there's an emphasis here, again, on God fulfilling his covenant promises, of God directing his people, of God preserving Abraham's line by providing a wife for Isaac. And this doesn't all just happen. It's not like God just, it's not like the servant was just a robot, right? It's not like the servant just went and 
all of a, and there's there's no there's no miracles that happen in this in this passage. There's nothing like crazy. God's not making something appear. He's not doing crazy miracles. This is God using Abraham's servant through simple trust in the Lord, through faith in the Lord. He prays to the Lord. He asks for the Lord to show him and to provide the wife for Isaac. And that's how this whole story unfolds. So as much as we emphasize, emphasize here the providence of God and how hand, God's hand is all over it, we also want to look at the faith of Abraham's servant, right? He trusted the Lord. He walked with the Lord. And he didn't just say, all right, God, just make something appear out of nowhere. He went on the long journey. He went through all these steps. And he's only halfway through, right? Now they're going to go uh, to Abraham's house. And they're gonna, he's going to meet with her, or to uh, Rebecca's home. And he's going to meet with her family. Well, for us, it's, it's not every day that we get sent on a journey like this. God doesn't send us on these thousand-mile treks to go and, and find wives for people and things like this. But what would it look like in our day-to-day lives to walk by faith and to submit to God's will, to submit everything to him in prayer? In our work day, right, as we're getting ready to leave for work, to submit to God, to, to go to work by faith, Trusting in him and his promises. For our school day, kids, trusting in the Lord to provide what you need. In our relationships, you know, maybe it's a difficult family situation. What does it look like going home for the holidays, right? What does it look like by faith to trust in the Lord in those difficult situations? Spending time maybe with those who who don't walk with the Lord, who don't know him. You know, summer's almost over here, kind of getting into the fall, and probably not most of us are done taking our vacation time. But what does it look like to trust the Lord with our vacation time, right? To plan, we talked about this several weeks ago, to plan our time, to, to have the Lord be in it, and not just to make our own plans and do things our own way. Do we trust that God is our provider That he is sovereign over even the little details of our lives and that he cares about those little details. Do we desire success in the things that we do so that we can give him the glory and that we can tell others about him and how he has been faithful to us? And that's what happens here then in this next scene as Rebecca runs home, tells her family about what happened. Laban, Rebecca's sister, comes out. Rebecca's brother, excuse me, comes out greets them, greets Abraham and the servants, and welcomes them in. And then this Abraham's servant, from verses 34 to 49, he's going to recount the details of everything that had just happened through the first 28 verses. So we're not going to look at that. But then we kind of come to this moment of truth here. How is Rebecca's family going to respond? What are they going to say to this guy who says, hey, I traveled a thousand miles, my, my master sent me here, I got all this gold, I got all these camels that I, that I want you to feed, I'm going to crash at your place, and by the way, I'm going to take your daughter, and she's going to go be my master's wife. Uh, okay, how are they going to respond? We're going to see from their response that we must submit to God's will as revealed in his word. We must submit to God's will as revealed in his word. And this, this is really interesting here. This section here from verses 50 through 60, our book ended with trust in the Lord's word. The first part comes in verse 50 and 51. They say, Laban and Bethuel, 
they say, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. So he said, this is what God has said. We will do it. We will submit to God's will. We will agree with you. Take her and go. This seems crazy, right? I mean, who does this? They don't know exactly where she's going. I'm sure they've, they've never been there. We talked about last week, it's been 62 years since Abraham left that land and went out to a place that God would show him. But they don't make their decision based on these fears and these unknowns. They don't say, what's going to happen to our daughter? What's going to happen to our sister? We don't know. No, instead they trust the Lord. And they say, we will do as the Lord has spoken. Notice again, then, Abraham's servant bows before the Lord and he brings out gifts to Rebekah and her family in verse 52 and following. Then he asks to take her away. He says, all right, they, they stay one night and then he said, all right, we got we to gotta get going. It's time to, it's time to go. But they say, wait, 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 can, can she stay with us for 10 more days? And he says, no, do not delay me. We need to be going and so they come to Rebecca and they ask her, will you go with them? And she says, yes, I will go. Then we see here the other bookend of trust in the Lord's word in verse 60. After she says that she will go, it says, They blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Now, if this sounds familiar, this language in the second half of that verse of may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him, it's because just two chapters earlier, after the Lord provided the ram in the place of Isaac, the Lord said to Abraham, he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Now this is crazy if you think about it, because there's almost no way that these people, these relatives knew of the account that happened in Genesis chapter 22. There's almost no way that Abraham had, had sent someone back and said, oh, hey, here's what happened, and that they knew this promise that God spoke to Abraham in chapter 22. So the same promise that God gave to Abraham in chapter 22, Laban and Bethuel speak over Rebekah, and it's talking about Isaac and his descendants, this idea of possessing the gate of their enemies. Chapter then ends with Rebekah returning She meets Isaac, they are married, and it closes the chapter. It says that Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So Sarah, the matriarch, is dead. We read about Abraham's death in the next chapter. And this here is a picture of God's providence and God's faithfulness to carry on the promises that he made to Abraham for his offspring. So now Isaac and Rebekah, they replace Abraham and Sarah. And we've been talking all throughout Genesis as we've been going through Genesis how Genesis points us forward to Christ. 
All of this, this idea of this offspring, it's all pointing us forward to Jesus who will come from the line of Abraham. So I argue that we must submit to God's will as revealed in his word. We don't just do this by trying harder. Kind of bringing it full circle. This idea of not turning back and not taking shortcuts. It's not something that we're capable of doing on our own. It's not something that we just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and try harder. We cannot turn back and not take shortcuts. We must look to Jesus. Jesus is the one who took no shortcuts. The beginning of his ministry, he was tempted in the wilderness. He was hungry. He hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. Satan comes to him and says, turn these stones into bread. Right? Just take a shortcut, Jesus. It'll be easy that way. You've got the power, right? You can do whatever you want to do. Just turn these stones into bread. What did he say? How did he respond? It is written. God has spoken, right? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus submitted to God's will as revealed in his word. He quoted scripture. All three of the times he was tempted, he quoted scripture back to Satan. No shortcuts. What about no turning back? You may remember in John chapter 6, Jesus talking to his disciples, he says, I am the bread of life. He's explaining to them what that means, that, that he is the bread who has come down from heaven. And at the end of that chapter, he says to his disciples, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Then it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We sang it in our song, right? Show us Christ. Where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Of course we won't turn back. There's nowhere else to go. No one else can tell us the truth but you, Jesus. There is nowhere else to go. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you have not yet trusted in Christ, if you have not yet been on that path of walking with him, we want to encourage you. Look to Jesus. He's the one who came and laid down his life. He is the bread of life, the one that we feed on, the one who has the words of eternal life. It is only through him that we can be reconciled to the Father. He died on the cross for our sins, and as we looked at in the New City Catechism, he was raised again on the third day so that we might be raised to new life, and not be raised to judgment. Trust in him. For the Christian, if you're here today and and you're on that road and you feel like, man, it's just, it's hard, right? It's It's been a long road. I feel the temptation to turn back. I feel the temptation to take a shortcut, right? Trust in God. Trust in his providence and his faithfulness. 
Trust that he's working behind the scenes and all the details of your life, just as he did with Abraham's servant, right? He had no idea what was going to happen. He went out trusting God, praying, submitting to God and his word. That's what we're called to. I know Jesse, I heard him mouth Pilgrim's Progress as I was talking about the book in the beginning. I'm sure many of you probably figured that out. The book by John Bunyan. John Bunyan was imprisoned in England for preaching the gospel, basically. Uh, He would not stop preaching the gospel, and he was put in prison. And it is there that he wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, which has become, I think it's the second best-selling book in the world next to the Bible, translated into hundreds of languages. The rare book collection at RTS, I know. Isn't that the biggest collection of Pilgrim's Progress books anywhere? I think I, I might have heard that. There's like hundreds of Pilgrim's Progress books, so that's really cool. But it's the story of, of Christian, right? He's fleeing the city of destruction, and he's going on his way to the celestial city. And all along the way, he meets challenge after challenge. But he's going, he's trusting God. He's going to the city that God has prepared for us. That city is the new Jerusalem. It's the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven that we read about in Revelation chapter 21. We talk about this idea of of gates, right? Possessing the gate of the enemies that promise. Well, the new Jerusalem has 12 gates, these ornate gates gates. And here's what it says in Revelation chapter 21. It says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The promised offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has conquered and he has possessed the gates of the new Jerusalem. It is through him that we may enter in. And is he, is he alone who has the words of eternal life. Let us run to him, just as Christian did. Let us run to him and not turn back. Let us look to him. Let us trust him along this journey of life. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness carry us through. We trust you. We look to you. We ask for strength from you to keep on keeping on on this journey. Thank you for your covenant faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.